you that there is power in prayer? James chapter 5 says that the effectual, fervent prayer, effectual is a fancy word for effective, the effective, fervent, intense prayer of a righteous person accomplishes many great things and has great power. You believe the word of God? You believe that that's true? Last week we started a series called Prayer Power, and today we continue that series. Last week we talked uh, about the power of prayer and the significance of prayer in our lives, and today we're getting more specific throughout this month, each of the Sundays of January. We're going to focus on a different aspect of learning and growing and being equipped regarding the importance of prayer. Watchman Nia, a leader from a few decades ago from China, who I always loved most of Watchman Nia's writings, although he fell into some weirdness in the end of his life, but uh, most of his writings uh, were so inspirational and uh, encouraging to me, at least, in my development as a uh, young minister. Um, I wrote down a quote that I believe is very accurate. The, script, uh, the, the quote says this, the amount and intensity of the prayer of the church today determines the measure of the manifestation of God's power. I'll say that again. The amount, the measure, and the intensity of the prayer of the church today will determine the measure of the manifestation of God's power. I want to introduce you, maybe not for the first time, but remind you of two passages of Scripture that set the table for today's message on the six kinds of prayer. I think most of us fall into the habit of immediately when you talk about prayer, you have a narrow-casted view of what prayer is. And uh, usually we just think it's asking God for stuff, right? That's kind of what we, many of us, limit the concept of prayer to. We know that prayer is an interactive, two-way conversation between earth and heaven. It is simply a communication between man and God. Amen? It's simply, it's, it's that simple. There are two fascinating scriptures that alert us to the fact that there's different kinds of prayer. First of all, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, the context is Paul talking about what? Put on the full armor of God. We're in a battle. And at the end, you may miss it because a lot of people read through that and then they stop in verse 17. But look at verse 18. At the end of talking about all the parts of the armor of God, it's saying this, praying always. Could someone say always? Praying when? Always, how? With all prayer. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Paul builds on that same idea and principle in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. The Scripture says, I urge you then, first of all, and he places a priority on this, I urge you then, first of all, that request, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. Do you see the list he starts to build? All of these are different kinds of prayer that all those be used, to be, be used for what? To be made for everyone. And then we'll look at this on January 31, but he goes on to tell us about praying for our spiritual and political and government leaders. We'll talk about that, praying for our nation on January 31. So I think you can see from these scriptures that maybe there is more to this idea of prayer than we realize. If you have a toolkit, you have a job to do. Let me assure you, if you only have a screwdriver, you may be up the creek. 
because there's all different kinds of tools, and for different jobs and different tasks, you need different tools. You might have one. There's different kinds of screwdrivers, right? Only three of you knew that. But anyway, uh, <laughs> different kinds of screwdrivers. There's different kinds of saws. There are different kinds of drills. And, and don't ask me what they are, but I understand that there are those. And usually my toolbox is always lacking. But anyway, there are many different tools. Depends on what? The task. We don't use a screwdriver to try to knock a wall down, do we? You did. You were unsuccessful probably, all right? So I want to talk to you about the different kinds of tools. There are different kinds. There are different rules that apply and different principles that apply to the different kinds of prayer. It's the same way in athletics. We have different rules for basketball than we do football. And baseball is their own world, right? So you have to follow the appropriate rules for the game you're playing. Amen? So what I want you to see is that there are different tools in our prayer toolbox, and maybe you have never made full use of them. And today I want to introduce you to all of them and give you some principles that may help encourage you to use them. And maybe you've just never thought of it in this way, and if so, maybe it helps you. And it's not something that uh, I just want to say as kind of a disclaimer at the beginning. This isn't something discussing the six kinds of prayer. There's probably ten, but I've just picked six out this morning. It's not the kind of thing that when you're praying, you say, all right, Lord, I'm, I'm now praying a dedicatory prayer. <clears throat> oh, by the way, Lord, now I'm interceding. You don't need to do that, all right? It's just to help your understanding to grasp the full dimensions of prayer. So let's talk about those together. First of all is the prayer of dedication, or sometimes we call this the prayer of consecration. You'll notice in each of these slides, I have given a definition at the top of what that prayer means. This is a prayer of new or renewed dedication. When we actually come to the Lord, we come to Christ initially, we are praying a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of dedication, aren't we? Where we initially surrender our lives to the Lord. How many of you know that shouldn't be the last prayer of consecration you pray? Amen? This is the Christian life. It's an ongoing place of rededicating and consecrating ourselves over and over anew to the Lord. That's a part of Christian experience and Christian growth. Jesus gave us the wonderful example. I put up Heinrich Hoffman's famous painting here of Jesus in the garden. Garden of Gethsemane. And we know that in Luke chapter 22, for example, verse 41 through 43, Jesus in the garden says this, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, meaning his disciples, beyond them, he knelt down and he prayed this, father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. What was the cup he was speaking about? The suffering of the cross. The weightiness, remember he was human and yet divine. The weight of paying the sacrifice for the world's sin. So in his humanity, he prays, Lord, if there's any way I can get out of this, I'd prefer that. How many know God expects transparency in prayer? Amen? He's simply praying out of his humanity saying, if there's any way I can avoid having to pay this price, I'd prefer not to. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? I have. But he goes on, and the most important part of the prayer is in the end of verse 42, and he says this, Yet, yet, not my will, but what? Yours. What is this? This is a prayer of consecration. Jesus is our model. 
He is praying a prayer of dedication to the Father just prior to his arrest. We see it repeatedly through Scripture in Genesis chapter 22. We see Abraham offering Isaac, and this is a prayer. He puts Isaac on the altar in obedience to God, and he prays a prayer of dedication. He is what? Consecrating. It's a prayer. It is a communication, but the focus of the prayer and the content of the prayer has to do with surrender, dedication, and consecration. Romans chapter 12 picks up the same principle in the New Testament in the famous verses in verse 1 and verse 2 of Romans 12 where the scripture challenges us to do what? Present your bodies or present yourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord, which is your good and reasonable worship or service, right? It is part of our Christian experience to continue to pray. There are times that the Holy Spirit deals with me hopefully you as well, about things in my life that aren't what they should be. There's areas that I've been running and managing on my own, and the Holy Spirit begins to convict me and deal with me, and the appropriate response is at some point, hopefully I don't procrastinate, but I come to a point of saying, all right, Lord, I realize it. And now I am taking a position and a a stance saying, I give that to you. That, my friend, is a prayer of dedication. It may be private, it may be public, it may be corporate, it may be individually done. The first kind of prayer that I want you to know about is the prayer of dedication. Number two is the prayer of agreement. Everybody say agreement. You'll notice the definition. This is a prayer between two or more parties that that are in harmonious agreement regarding the need and the desired divine response. Let's read the scripture and we'll break it down. Matthew chapter 18, a well-known verse, but most of the time people have no clue what this really means. Look at the verse. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth, how many of you are on earth? Just wait. I just want to make sure no one's kind of spacing out today. All right. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth will do what? Agree. Agree about anything anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. The fulcrum of this verse falls on the word agree. And that is where the misunderstanding comes. The word here for agree in the Greek language is a word that we get our English word symphony or symphonious. Something that makes a symphony. Now, when I was a boy, my mom was deliberate about making sure I was cultured, which meant to her, my dad would never do it, but anyway, to her, the kids had to make sure we were exposed to quality music at an early age. She dragged me to the symphony when I was five and six and seven and eight and nine and 10 years old. We had to go to the opera. We had to go to symphony. We had to, I, I later in life played in the orchestra. Not well, but I played in the orchestra. And one thing I remember is this. The nature of a symphony is that not everyone is playing the same note or instrument. Right? If they were playing the same, what would it be? It might be a solo then. 
But not everybody's playing. They're playing off the same sheet of music, but they're playing different instruments and different notes. But hopefully, under like the example we had in our announcement, hopefully they blend together harmoniously. And when you are in the audience and you hear a gifted orchestra, what do you hear? Wow. This sound. You want, whoa, that is amazing sound. But what is it? If you break it apart, it's individual notes and individual people and individual uh, instruments all playing notes that will blend together and together they are harmonious just like a symphony. And the harmony will rock you. That is the word that Jesus chooses. And he says, if any two of you on heaven will what? Agree. Now, can I just say, I don't mean this critically, but I don't believe this word has to do, and this promise has to do with what I call a 30-second agreement. Many people interpret this, and they just run around looking for some other question. Oh, oh, you just agree with me? You know, I'm not saying that that prayer is not going to have any effect, but that's not what this verse is talking about. When it talks about agreeing in prayer, it's talking about a relationship it, it, is, it speaks to the community of faith. It speaks to people who are joined and knitted to one another, bone to bone, joint to joint. It's speaking out of a relationship where you can really agree and make harmony according to God's word and God's desire for you, and you build that harmony. Now, you and your wife, you and your husband, you get into agreement on something. Friend, you release power. Now, I think you could see what would happen if we don't live in agreement. No power. There's no power in your prayer of agreement. Because you ain't agreeing about much. Just not agreeing, except the only agreement you have is we got a problem. <laughs> right? But this word suggests harmonious agreement. So to me, the greatest power are those that you're in relationship with and even in the broader local body of believers get connected to a local church that you can thrive in and be a part of and get into a relationship where you can agree in prayer. When you get into symphony together, you got to sing off the same page. Got to pray off the same sheet of music. And when you do, look out. Great power is released. Now, there's some rules that apply to this, and I don't have time to digress too much, but there's one rule really is important here, and that's that you really understand what you're agreeing on. Because a lot of times people say, Pastor, would you just agree with me? I'm like, well, about this need. And I'll say, how do you want me to pray? Because if I'm praying, you know, if I'm praying this direction, I won't give any specifics. If I'm praying this direction and you pray in this direction, what happens? You might have just, you know, forget trying to pray that way because you're not in agreement. So I'll ask people, Stuart, how do you want me to pray? Do you want me to pray that, that you know, for God's uh, supernatural intervention to do this, 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 this? Or do you want me to pray that we'll have the patience to hold on? How do you want me to pray? So specificity in prayers of agreement are very important. Take note of that. Let's go to the third kind of prayer, shall we? The third kind of prayer is the prayer of petition. This is the prayer that most people, when you say, pray for me, this is what they're thinking about. It's the prayer of petition, or literally a prayer that asks God for a specific outcome. It's making a request known to God. 
Now, I want to say from the onset, and I think you'll see this underscored by these verses, God wants to encourage you to petition him. A lot of people think that prayer is what I call a divine tug of war. God's pulling this way. John's pulling this way. God's pulling this way. John said, I'm praying. I'm pulling him over the line. If I can just pull hard enough, I'm going to pull God over the line. That's not real prayer. That's not the kind of petition we're talking about. Here's the right picture. God is saying, here's my word. Here's my will. Here's what I want to do. But it's conditional upon whether or not you come into agreement with my word and my will. And you ask in faith. If you can do that, then God is basically saying, I've just been waiting for the opportunity to intervene into your life. And I could have done it sovereignly because I'm powerful enough to do it. But I have limited myself to see if you will pray according to my will. And then I will intervene. Oh, I'm so thankful that you finally asked for this need. You came to me rather than going to a loan officer, rather than going to the doctor first, rather than doing all these things. Why don't you start with making your request of me? I'm the giver of all good gifts. I'm your provider. Ask me. Jesus said, fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and everything that the kingdom involves. But we somehow think, well, we got to convince God, come over here on my side and do this. It's wrong thinking. Look at what the Bible says. Mark 11 and verse 24. Powerful scripture. We'll just look at one part of it. Whatever you ask for in prayer. See the word ask? Speaking about petition. Whatever you ask when you pray, believe that you have received. What is it saying? When you pray a prayer petition, it needs to be in faith. James 4.2 says this. You don't have, we read this last week, you don't have because you don't ask. Stop just a second, think about that. You complain, you murmur, you run off and do your own thing. But the reason you don't have, because you don't ask. It goes on to say, and when you ask, you don't even ask correctly. That's what James is reminding us. James has a way of putting things bluntly, doesn't he? Speaking of James, he says in the first chapter, if anyone lacks wisdom, now this is a specific request, right? If anybody needs wisdom, what should they do? It goes right on to say, if anyone lacks wisdom, do what? Ask. This is the prayer of petition. And there's many other scriptures that we could add to that. By the way, the word supplication, have you ever been confused? Like, why do I always throw in supplication? supplication really is an intensified form of petition. It's an intensified form of petition. So it's not totally contrasted to petition. It's simply going deeper in petition. It usually involves waiting, persevering in prayer for that matter. All right? So this is the prayer of petition. My gosh, I've been in situations so many times in my life where I've had to believe God making a request. And by the way, these different prayers, you'll see that they blend. It's not like, you know, I'm only playing ball this way right now. For example, praying a prayer of petition and then getting someone to pray the prayer of agreement with you regarding the prayer of petition. Do you see how that works exponentially? Yeah. So keep that in mind. I can give you so many examples of answered prayer, and many of you have them yourself. But be aware of the prayer of petition. Number four, the prayer of thanksgiving. What did I say prayer was? I said it is a communion, fellowship-based, interaction, two-way communication from man to God, God to man, 
And many times we never think of Thanksgiving. We think Thanksgiving, oh, that's worship. I got to pray. This is a part, should be a part of our prayer life. It is a form of prayer expressing thanksgiving and praise. Do you remember the lepers that got healed? They were all glad they got healed. But only one came back to offer the prayer of thanksgiving. And he got an extra measure of restoration that day. Luke chapter 18, verse 43. The blind man, it says, and immediately he recovered his sight and he followed Jesus. He followed him and he glorified God. You see that? And all the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. What's this all about? It is a prayer or a release of thanksgiving and praise. It may be a sacrificial thanksgiving. In other words, it may not be, oh, Lord, I see this. Thank you for this. It may just be an attitude of heart. I believe whenever we pray, we ought to start by being thankful. We need to maintain that attitude of gratitude. And in prayer, we just start off by saying, Lord, I just want to start by praising you. Some of us start off by going, oh, woe is me. Oh, this has been awful. God, it's been a terrible week. Oh, Lord, you just don't know how I many. I've got this list I've got to put before. Would you just pause that for a moment and start with praise? Start by thanking God, having a spirit that expresses thanks. Whether you have the answer yet or not, there are plenty of reasons to be thankful. <clears throat> plenty of reasons for you to be thankful. Um, we also see when Jesus healed, uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. Immediately when he called Lazarus out, do you know what he did? He turned to the Father. Do you know what he did? Most of us today, we would have sent out a newsletter. But instead, what Jesus did in John eleven forty one says, Father, I thank you because you've heard me. Thank you. Even the Son of God offered the prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord. There's many other scriptures that admonish us to offer this prayer of thanksgiving. The one I like the most is in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Right on the heels of it saying this. Don't worry about anything. Don't be anxious. But what? Instead. In other words, not in addition to worry. In place of worry, what's the better option? We let our... Now this kind of covers couple of different areas. We let our requests be known to God. What would that kind of prayer be? Thank you. Come on, church. Petition. We just covered it, right? Petition. All right. Make your requests known unto God, but then the Holy Spirit adds this. How? With thanksgiving. Too often you and I are guilty of making all kinds of requests, but we are guilty of not adding the thanksgiving element. Do you see that? Make your request, but then after you make it, say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've been worrying, and I, this is what I've been worrying about, and I'm asking you that you would take care of this, and I'm asking specifically for this in my petition, but now I'm just going to thank you. Lord, I thank you you've taken this load off my shoulder. Lord, I praise you today that I can trust you with this. Lord, I'm walking away from this. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. It's in your hands. I praise you that I asked for it. I believe I have received, and now I'm just giving you praise and thanksgiving today. With thanksgiving. And then the promises, and then the peace of God will rule your mind and heart. How many of you need the peace of God today? Petition and thanks. Number 
5. Intercessory prayer. I venture to say many of us who are Christians have heard the word intercession or someone say, we're having intercessory prayer and you're like, someone explain that to me? What is that? Well, it is biblically. It is a certain kind of prayer. It is a flavor of prayer that basically acts on the behalf in prayer on the behalf of someone else. Look at the admonitions in the Old Testament. For example, in Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 16, this is the Lord speaking through his prophet. He saw that there was no man and he wondered that there was no one to intercede. There was no one to intercede. I think Ezekiel 22:30 is not on the screen, but you can make note of it. Ezekiel 22:30 really hammers this. Listen to what it says. This is what the Lord says. The Lord's judgment has built up okay, towards this particular uh, subject, and, and the Lord said, I, I'm going to have to just, it, it's a matter of me being a fair God. My judgment's going to have to roll out upon this, and this is what he says. I looked for someone. I, God says, I was looking for someone who would help build up the wall. What's, you're not talking about building a brick wall. He's talking about building a spiritual wall of protection. I looked for someone who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. You ever read that scripture? Intercessory prayer is standing in the gap. So let's say that I'm going to intercede for, let's say I'm interceding for an individual. Let's say I'm praying today, interceding for Daryl and Shanice. So they're here. They have a situation. They've got a need. God's in heaven, and I choose to stand in the gap, the gap between them and the Lord, the gap between the answer and them. Someone needs to stand in the gap. You say, well, Jesus has come to stand in the gap. Yes, he has come, and he is now making intercession for us in heaven constantly. Praise God for that. But he invites you and me to partner with him, and he's looking for people who will be in intercession. And that is standing in the gap, taking the, the project of prayer on, and it has nothing to do with me if I'm an intercessor. It has nothing to do with me. It has to do with Daryl and Shanice's need and praying to the Father. I'm standing in the gap on their behalf praying for that. Now, you can see where Jesus came to fulfill that, didn't he? He came as our great intercessor. But you and I can intercede for what? We can intercede for our nation. We'll see that January 31. We, do you know that there is a need for intercessors for our country? People who will simply stand in the gap and say, Oh, God, I, we need mercy. In fact, that's what the Lord was saying. I'm looking for someone who will pray for the nation of Israel. I'm looking for someone who will simply take up that gap position. That's what an intercessor does. Now, let me say this. Go on a couple other scriptures, and then I'll explain uh, a couple aspects. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul gives us an example of intercession. The famous prayer of Paul in chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, verses 15 through 18. You remember where he prays for the Ephesians and he prays for us? That's a great prayer. But what is it? Paul standing in the gap, interceding for the church at Ephesus. Wonderful example of prayer. 
Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 uses the word intercede when it says this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. It's specifically speaking about weakness when we're praying. Weakness not meaning, just meaning we don't know how to pray exactly like we should. It says when you, uh, the Holy Spirit will come and he will help us. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself that resides where? That resides where? In us. That the Spirit himself will do what? Intercedes for us, I might add, for us and through us with even groans that sometimes words cannot even express. Some of you look at me like, I don't think I want to have a part of that groaning part. When someone truly yields themselves to the spirit of intercession, the Lord through the Holy Spirit can intercede for you, with you, through you. There is a difference, by the way, between those, there is a special ministry arena that is thereby calling. There are those in the body of believers who are called to be an intercessor. All of us can intercede. All of us should intercede. But only some people are called and gifted to intercede. I love having intercessors. And they're a special breed of people. And I love them and appreciate them. And I've learned to pastor them and lead them. But thank God for those called to intercession. Likely someone called to intercession, you'll never hear them on the platform. You know why? They're doing their business in some closet somewhere they're down on their knees praying they'll get the reward in heaven but when you have the calling of intercession it's i I don't want to teach on that today but i just want to tell you it's deep it even feels totally bizarre to people who are like i don't think i understand what you're doing it's something that really necessarily needs to be done in private or with another group of called intercessors okay that's my experience But intercession is standing in the gap between the need and God, the person and the Lord. And the Lord is looking for people today who will stand in that gap. I just want to add one more thing to this. And I can't digress for time today, but I want to make sure I emphasize it. I know that there will be some here who will think I'm absolutely bonkers. But I believe that there's a tool that needs to be understood with regard to, frankly, many of these areas of prayer, but you simply can't ignore it. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he said, when I pray with my mind, in other words, with my understanding, my mind is unfruitful. He said, so I pray with my mind, with my understanding, but I also pray in the Spirit. The context is he's talking about a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit that allows someone to actually pray in a language they never learned. He calls it praying in the Spirit. The language praying in the Spirit refers to several different kinds of praying in the New Testament. But praying in the Spirit does relate to praying with a prayer language. You say, I don't know anything about that. That's all right. I'm just distinguishing today. Understand that you can intercede with your understanding. In most of our cases, it's in English. And you can intercede in the Spirit with a unique spiritual gift of praying in the Spirit that God gives. 
And we, like I said, we can't digress into that today. It'd take about six hours. But anyway, the point is I just want to make that don't deny that that ability comes in. And particularly with intercession, it, it plays a very key part, particularly for those who are called to be intercessors. All right, we got one more left. You ready? Warfare prayer. Just remember I said that there's more than six, but I've just picked six. Warfare prayer. I defined this as militant prayer. <laughs> militant prayer. A binding and loosing that involves a direct attack against satanic strongholds and strategies. Sound spooky? No? It's real. It's real. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 19. I don't have time to read the whole text, but you'll know the scripture. Most of you will. It starts off in verse 10 by simply saying this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And he goes on in verse 11 through, through the rest to talk about putting on the full armor of God. But I want to point out just one thing. It says, for our battle or our fight, speaking of us today, for our fight is not against flesh, tangible things in the natural realm, flesh and blood. But instead, our fight is what? And he lists for us an order of satanic powers. Our battle, our fight is against rulers, against authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's Paul telling the church how to pray. That's Paul saying to the church, you need to wake up to the fact that you're in warfare. Whether you realize it or not, whether you're ever doing militant praying or not, you are in a battle. The question is whether you're winning or losing. Now listen, I don't have time to give you, a, I did a series several years ago when we first launched this church uh, called Battle Zone. I may redo it here this year. But it takes, there's a lot to spiritual warfare. But I simply want to bring it out and focus on it as one kind of prayer. And I love Matthew 16, um, 19 that simply says this. I will give you, Jesus repeats it twice in two different chapters. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Keys. Keys are for what? Opening doors. Open up, having access. He said, I'm going to give to you who are my followers, I'm going to give you the keys speaks of authority will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and he goes on to say this and whatever you bind by the way the word bind simply means to prohibit whatever you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven i want to translate that for you in just a second whatever you bind here on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven bind means to prohibit loose means to permit is that easy to remember Prohibit, permit, all right? Binding and loosing. The way that the language in most of our English translations is there, it's a little confusing. It, some people think it means, well, I've got the ability to bind something here, and then God's got to do whatever I do here on earth. God's got to do that my way. It actually means the reverse. What it means is we have the authority to prohibit and permit here on earth with a militant prayerful posture those things that god has already bound and loosed according to his will in heaven jesus said your kingdom come where here as it is where in heaven there's things that are established in heaven that we've yet to see here on earth 
that we need to see here on earth. Thy will be done. Let thy kingdom come. Where? Here as it is where? There. So it doesn't mean we do it here and then God switches heaven around and aligns. No, what it means is when I bind something here, my authority to bind and prohibit here on earth has to line up with what is established in heaven. Now, I know a few things that are established in heaven. The, heaven tells me that Jesus has already won the victory over all those powers of darkness, and he's given it to born-again Christians through the power of the name of Jesus. That means that I can bind satanic forces, principalities, and powers that he warns us about in Ephesians 6. I can bind them and prevent them from messing things up for God's will here on earth. Some of you have been attacked, some of you have been undermined, and you have no clue. Because you never opened up your eyes to the reality of the spiritual realm and realized that there is a war going on in your family. There's a war going on over your business. And until you align yourself with taking the dominion that Jesus has rightfully given you and you take a militant posture and you start binding those powers of darkness and binding those devils and binding the spirit of infirmity and binding those things that are interrupting God's will in your life and in this church and in our community... That's the power we're given. The issue is not whether or not we have the authority. The question is, will we use it? Will we use it? Bind and then what? Permit. You say, well, what do we permit? I bind the spirit of fear and then I lose peace. Confidence. I want to release and lose faith in its place. It's praying in the opposite direction from the binding. See what that is? So I can bind... Listen, you can't bind a flat tire. I've tried it. It doesn't work. Huh? You can't bind the fact that you forgot to put gas in the car. You can't do that. Okay? You can't bind up the fact that you screwed up on your job and didn't do your work and got fired. Come on, someone say amen here. You can't bind that. But you can bind the spirit of poverty that's trying to undermine you. And then you should lose. If you're buying the spirit of poverty, what do you think you might want to permit and lose? Blessing, prosperity, provision. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. We have the ability to engage in warfare prayer. And just for some of you traditionalists, which I'm also a classical evangelical uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, Martin Luther. Quote him here. Martin Luther was fully engaged, as was John Wesley, for example, and others. 1524, Martin Luther's quoted as saying this, I have had a terrible time fighting, fighting the spirit of Saxony. Saxony was a region, a geographical region. He was trying to bring the gospel into Saxony. He said, man, I have had a... It's been like this. Even Martin Luther recognized that there were principalities, territorial spirits ruling and reigning over areas. And he said, What? I don't just recognize it. I have to fight in the spirit. With the weapons that God's given to me, I take a warfare position. How many of you would like to learn more about spiritual warfare? Any of you here? All right, we'll try to consider that in the future, future months, all right? So warfare prayer is our last area. I want to close by this. Our time is up. Um, I, want to, I want to lead you in a confession, and then Brent Lucy is going to come and just speak a blessing over you as we leave today. Maybe instruments can come. I wrote down a faith declaration. And I wrote it in first person, so I would like for you 
if, if you're moved to do this, to join me. And I, in fact, I'm just, why don't we just stand up together and uh, we'll take a real posture. Hopefully you learned something today about the different kinds of prayer. Do you know that this life is an adventure? It'd be boring if it was just one flavor all the time, amen? Hallelujah for the beauty of God's variety. I want to lead you in this confession. It's a declaration. And some of you are like, well, I'm not quite there. Well, choose to be there. All right? So I want you to, I'm going to say a phrase and you repeat it. And then uh, Brent will come and bless you as you leave. I declare by faith that prayer is a central and significant part of my life. God has great spiritual adventures planned for me. And he wants to reveal them to me during my times of prayer. I am steadfast, immovable, and consistent in my time with God. Nothing is as important to me as those moments I enjoy with Him. As I spend time with Him every day, He refreshes my spirit, He enlightens my mind, with the knowledge that he wants me to know. My prayer time is a key to the fruitfulness God is giving me in my life. I declare this by faith in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. After Brent declares this blessing over you, they're going to be our prayer team standing right here. If They'll go ahead and come and be in position now. They're going to be stretched across the front of our auditorium, ready to pray prayers of agreement, ready to declare faith-based prayers over each of you. You come as you feel led, and after Brent uh, speaks this blessing over you, we'll be dismissed for today.